Well, today's sermon is on contentment, uh, and I decided to try the sermon out on my kids last night at dinner before, uh, before we even, like, uh, before I even had a chance to talk to grown-ups about it, I tried it out on my kids, and it was totally a bomb. It didn't go well. In fact, I mentioned contentment to my kids, and I said, hey, I'm going to talk about contentment, and they're like, what's that? And, uh, and so I, I told them, and I just probed a little bit. I said, so you guys had a good Christmas, right? They're like, well, yeah, we got a lot of good stuff. I said, would you be happy if, like, you never got anything again in your life? They're like, no. I said, you wouldn't be content? They're like, what? And they saw where this was going. And, uh, and so I tried to tell them about contentment and what it means and how, you know, God will provide. And Cassie then, at the end of that, stood up and said, I'm done with your dinner sermons. <laughs> and left. So I'm 0 for 1 on this sermon, but I hope, I hope you won't feel that way at the end. Uh, contentment. I really am curious to know what goes through your heart when I say contentment. Are you content? What is contentment? Um, Our world breeds discontent in your heart. Our world breeds that because they need us to go on our next shopping spree so they can hit their bottom line. So Dave Ramsey says that the most marketed product in our culture is debt. The offers you get for credit cards and loans and the commercials you see, financing, the most marketed product, the biggest thing that's going to come through your mailbox is debt. So our culture breeds discontent, makes you feel like you need to stretch, live beyond your means in order to be happy. So how can Christians find contentment? Check this out. This is Chase Bank. A couple years ago, this is their commercial. Chase what matters. Check it out. What do you want as your reward? I want to take all my ladies out to a really nice dinner. Hey! My dad is going to sit right between you. Hello, hello. Chase Freedom introduces rewards points you can use like cash to get anything you want. I want a new house. For Rufus. Oh, Rufus, what kind of house would suit you? With the Chase Freedom credit card, use your points to get any item, any place. Freedom matters. Chase what matters. So if you listen to Chase and you believe Chase, what they're telling you is, let us help you to live, you know, beyond your means and then pay us 25, 28, who knows, some exorbitant amount of interest. uh, And then you'll find freedom. Uh, But that's not freedom. (laughs) That's bondage. Uh, So the world will breed discontent in your heart and then get you to go out and live beyond your means. And then they will finance it and charge you interest. um, And that's their plan. What is the plan found in the word? Uh, What is God's plan to help you, to help me find uh, contentment? What is it even? Well, you won't find contentment in your wallet. You won't find it in your mailbox. Chase will not send you three months, no interest, contentment. Enjoy. You won't even find it in your heart because it's not the automatic setting of the human heart. And because of that, the love of money and the trust of money is a force working against your spiritual growth. It's it's a rushing headwind that slows down your progress. Or if you're not a believer in Christ, it's a wall preventing you from even being saved. The love of money, the trust of money, can cripple us and stunt our spiritual growth. The love of money, the trust of money, can keep us away from the truth of God 
and lead us away from him forever. So we have to find what, what is contentment. We have, to, we have to arrive there. Contentment is a crisis. There does come a point where we have to say, I will be content right now, but it's also a process. There's, there's the ongoing process of learning to live with a content heart. We're going to find out about both the process and the crisis today. First, let's pray. Jesus, I know your people have needs. Your people have wants. I know money is a very real thing to worry about, to pray about. So teach us about contentment. What is it? Why is it important? How can we find it and keep it? We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Let me set it up. There were false teachers coming to town. So imagine if someone were to stand up here and teach you a whole different gospel. It'd be like, let me show you some really obscure Old Testament genealogies. And, and because of that, Christ really isn't the one you're supposed to follow. So follow my plan. And then they, they like lathered on a promise of prosperity. It was like the first prosperity gospel. And you'll get rich. And God will bless you. That's what was going on in Ephesus where this book was written. So this now is coming against that false teaching that you follow a different gospel, you get a whole lot of money. Check it out in chapter 6, verse 6. It says this. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Circle back to verse 6 where it says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Write this down first. It just very simply put, be content. The Bible commands it, be content. Jesus commands it, be content. John the Baptist talked about it, be content. Again and again, the, the, the word calls us to be content. It's an expectation laid upon every follower of Christ that we should be content. In Philippians 4, verse 11, same author, different book, he says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Notice how it is a process. Through many different circumstances, the ups and the downs of the economy, we can learn in any circumstance to be content. But it's also a crisis. Maybe it would help you if I shared with you what contentment isn't, as we're trying to get a handle on what it is. Let me tell you what contentment isn't. You might want to write these down as extras. Contentment is not relaxation. Check this out. This is a picture of a little frog relaxing. Oh, if I could just get away onto a beach, off to the spa, mani-pedi, if I could get a massage, then I would just be so content. I'm not talking about physical relaxation, all right? Contentment is also not denial, all right? So if you told me, I've got these, these problems, and they are major, serious problems, and then you're like, but you know what? I'm content. No, no, you're in denial. Like, you need to go to the doctor or see an attorney or, like, come up with a plan. Like, contentment is not denial of reality. Contentment is not laziness. 
laziness. Well, you know what? I make it all right, and you know, I can pay most of my bills, and I just don't. You know what I am? I'm content. No, you're lazy. Like, you got to work harder, and you got to make more so you don't get in debt. Like, contentment isn't an excuse to be lazy. Contentment is also not fatalism. Fatalism. Fatalism means things are bad, but I'm fine with it. Nothing's ever going to get better. I'm not going to really even ask God for anything because I'm just content. No, no, you're fatalistic. That's fatalism. That's not contentment. You storm the gates of heaven, right? You believe awesome things about our God. You have hope that things will get better while you're content. Contentment is not fatalism. It's also not joylessness. Meaning, meaning, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, this is going on in life, but I'm just content. No, you're joyless. Who told you contentment means joylessness? They were making fun of Bill Belichick last, last week because, you know, Patriots, they advance, so they're playing big game this week. Check this out. So this, this photo got out there. You know, they won a big game. Where's the emotion? Sometimes in God's people, I'm like, where's the joy? Oh, I'm content. That's not content. You're boring. Contentment is not relaxation. It's not denial. It's not laziness. It's not fatalism. It's not joylessness. It's not, this is a big one, desirelessness. Desirelessness. Okay? You know what I want in this world? Nothing. I don't want anything. I have, I have no desire. I just, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I'm just, I'm not asking God for anything. I have no desire. That's Buddhism. Like, Buddhism is wanting nothing, period, ever. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not about bringing your soul to a place of poverty where you have nothing, want nothing. That's not what it's about. It's not about desirelessness, all right? It's a different religion. And, and last, it's not about a fake smile. It's not about just faking that you're happy. Like, yeah, took a big pay cut, working a lot more hours, prayed a whole lot, nothing's changed, but cheese. I love it. You're faking it. That's not contentment. All right, that's, that's what it isn't. What is it? All right, let me give it to you in a nutshell. Here's contentment. No matter what has happened, no matter what is happening, no matter what will happen, it is well with my soul because I have Christ. No matter what has happened, is happening, will happen, it is well with my soul because I have Christ. Now you can say that one time and mean it. And maybe it's the first time you've ever said that. And that's a big deal. That's the crisis. But you're going to have to say it again. You're going to have to tell it to yourself again next month, again next week. You're going to have to remind your heart, in this heart, we're content. No matter what has happened, is happening, will happen, it is well with my soul because I have Christ. The natural outgrowth of a content heart I would say would be three little indicators. The first one would be trust. I trust God. The second one would be love. I love God. The third one would be obedience. I obey God. 
Proof that you're content is you're trusting Him and nothing else. Proof that you're content is you're loving Him. You're not holding your affections hostage until He gives you what you want. You're loving Him for rich or for poor. And you're obeying Him. You don't believe the lie that you're trapped and the only way out is sin. Trust, love, obey. That's the proof that you're content. Be content. Why? Why? It gives us reasons here. There's great gain in godliness with contentment. Write this down. Be content because godliness with contentment is a jackpot. In the Greek, it literally says, mega gain. Like, huge win. Jackpot. Godliness with contentment is a jackpot. Have you ever played the lottery confession time? I'm just kidding. At least you got one of those scratch-off tickets at some point. As a kid, I got one of those scratch-off tickets. I won 50 bucks, and my dad was like, why did I give that to the kid? I thought I won a million bucks. I was like, yeah, I'm set for life, 50 bucks. And then I probably spent it on candy or something. People all, every week, they're like, lottery, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just get lottery, then I'll be set, right? All right, look at this. This is a page on the Illinois Lottery website. You can't read it, but I'll tell you what it says. It lists unclaimed prizes. So if you were in Elgin on October 3rd of 2014, you bought a $550,000 lotto ticket and you have yet to claim your prize. There's $700,000 that was bought December 14th. Nobody claimed it yet. What about in Melrose Park? $850,000 bought the last day of 2014. Nobody showed up to claim it yet. Here's the big one. March 18th, were you in Bloomingdale, Army Trail Road? On March 18th, if you were, you're splitting it with me because I told you about it. $1.1 million unclaimed, still there. All right, now get this. Godliness is called a jackpot, a huge gain. But for so many people, it sits there as an unclaimed prize. There are countless people who have never gone to God and received the riches of salvation. They've never received the grace that God has offered them and they're not saved. There is the most priceless and valuable thing God could ever offer a person. Godliness. And they leave it. It's an unclaimed prize. Christians who have at one point gone and claimed the riches of heaven and become followers of Christ too often chase after the things of this world for happiness and security and they leave what God has already given them in Christ unclaimed on the table. Godliness with contentment is mega huge. It's a jackpot, but too often it's an unclaimed prize. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. In Luke 12, 21, it says this, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself on earth and is not rich toward God. Hey, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you have nothing waiting for you in heaven. You can work your whole life to store up treasure in this world, but the Bible says you're not rich toward God, meaning there's nothing there for you yet. Because all the treasures of heaven are found in Christ. And, and what good is it for you to gain the whole world 
and, and store up possessions here and yet forfeit your soul when you cross over into the next life. Godliness with contentment is the real jackpot. In Colossians 1.27, it says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are, get this, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, contentment is found in Christ because the riches of heaven have been poured into him. So if you want to find contentment in yourself, you must find Christ in yourself. It's when you find Christ in you that you can find contentment in you. And it's not because you somehow have found this place of poverty where you don't want anything and and there's the absence of desire. It's because God has poured every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms into you. It's out of the riches and the abundance of God that you can be content. Not Not out of the poverty of soul. Our faith is different. It teaches us that in Christ we have everything. And that through Christ, we receive everything. He is everything, and He is the source of everything else we need. When you understand that having Christ is having everything, when you understand that it's through Christ that every other thing comes into your life, then you can be content. Then you can trust Him. Then you can love Him. Then you can obey Him. Godliness with contentment is a jackpot. But many believers neglect the riches of Christ. They forget what they have and they chase after the riches of this world. They trust the riches of this world to bring them, uh, to bring them security, to bring them satisfaction. Hebrews 13.5 warns us against this. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you have Christ, you have everything. So contentment is really the result of properly appraising what is already most valuable in your life. When you properly appraise that Christ is the most valuable thing in your life, when you properly appraise that he's the source of every good thing you need, then you can be content. Whatever has happened, is happening, will happen, it is well with my soul because Christ is in me. Now that's true for everything in your life. Your health, that's true for your parenting, your marriage, But here, the Bible zooms in on your finances. So listen, whatever has happened to you financially, whatever is happening to you financially, whatever will happen to you financially, it is well with your soul because Christ is with you. That's how you find contentment. Godliness with contentment is a jackpot. Write this down. Here's another reason. Be content because nothing belongs to you. It says in verse 7, we brought nothing into the world. We, can take, we can't take anything out of the world. Be content because godliness with contentment is a jackpot and because nothing belongs to you. All right, you were born with nothing. Nothing but your birthday suit. Although as soon as you could talk, you started claiming things, right? It's mine. It's mine. And, and as time rolled on, you started claiming more and more of creation as your own. Check this out. This is twins, twin babies, fighting over a toothbrush. Watch this. Take it away from the one. Give it to the other. What happens? It was mine! She's got two teeth. It's your sister's turn. She needs a toothbrush for it. Oh no, it's mine now. I'm not letting it go. 
Look at how tick that baby is. All right, now watch out. Reversal of fortunes. About to come. One baby's loving it. And then, and then. Uh oh. It's loose. I got it again. No! All right, you can cut that. It's mine! As we grow up, it's my bike. She's my girlfriend. That's my car, my house, my bank account, my retirement. Ownership is an illusion. The fact that you came into this world with this should, should show you from day one that it doesn't belong to you. It was uh, manufactured by a different being. And, and because of that, it's his. Everything around you is God's stuff. You get to borrow it. Everything in your life is a loner. That smartphone in your pocket, that car you're going to drive home in, the house you're going to arrive in, the bed you're going to sleep in, it's a loner. It's a loner. And you came in with this, and guess what? You're going to go out with this. Nothing is capable of passing from this life to the next. It all stays here. So everything, it, everything in your possession is either going to end up in a landfill or in somebody else's hands. That should change the way you attach your heart to things. It changes the way you see people and stuff. Listen, I'm not telling you, make it God's. Give it to God. I'm telling you, it's already His. Because you came with this, you're leaving with this. You just get a temporary time frame in which to play with his stuff. You're therefore a steward of God's things. And how you handle God's belongings will affect your eternity. Nothing belongs to you. Godliness with contentment is a jackpot. You'll let go of everything in this world, so it's not a gain. Whatever you get, it's not a gain. It's a temporary loner. But godliness, your spiritual walk with Christ, everything God has given you in Christ, that's eternal. Those are true riches. Be content. Godliness with contentment is a jackpot. Nothing belongs to you. Here's the second thing. Write this down. Let God's provision satisfy you. It says in verse 8, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Let God's provision satisfy you. What does this mean? Does this really mean as long as I have goldfish crackers, a handful of goldfish crackers, and I have one outfit, then I should not want anything else for the rest of my life. Does this mean that really all I need in my life is just little food, one or two outfits, and, and then I should stop acquiring things because that's God's way? Some people, they kind of warp the definition of contentment. Okay, the Bible doesn't call you to live some sort of monastic lifestyle where you just kind of isolate yourself and just have just a few things and you live in a bare, rugged apartment, one-bedroom apartment. It's not about reducing things externally. Okay? In fact, the reduction of things externally sometimes leads to pride. Contentment is not about reducing what you have externally. It's a hard thing. Okay? It's a hard thing. So you have to trust God's provision. And you can do that whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. This verse that says, if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. It's not telling you where contentment ends. Okay, now that I've got that, that's all I'm going to have for the rest of my life. It's telling you where contentment should begin. 
All right, do I have food? Check. Clothes? Check. Good. Now I can be content. I have now arrived at a state in which I should be content that whatever has happened or will happen or is happening, it is well with my soul because Christ is with me. I don't need three more paychecks. I don't need two more raises. I don't need five more years. I don't don't need that to be content. I can be content now because God has provided for me. Christ is in me. I'm set. Contentment starts when God's basic provision arrives. That's when it begins. There's a great example of a man who was content with God's provision in the Old Testament. Have you heard the story of Job? Job was a rich man. He was loaded. He was Bill Gates. And Satan came into the presence of the Lord. You know that story? You know it? And uh, God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, does Job love you for no reason? You have prospered him. But reach out your hand and touch everything he has. And he will curse you to your face. Touch his stuff. Take it away. Then we'll see if he loves the stuff or you. That was the test. Would you survive that test? God gave Satan permission. Go ahead, take it all away. In a day, he lost everything. Everything. What if by sundown tomorrow, you had nothing? You weren't sleeping. Your home's gone. Your house is gone. You don't have any money. You've got one outfit. His kids all died. Everything in one day. And what happened? He fell on his face and Job said, The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan failed. Turns out Job loved God for more than the goodie bag. Turns out that that trial fell on a content heart. Job made that choice in advance. Whatever has happened, is happening, will happen. It is well with my soul. God is with me. And then when he was pressed, that showed forth. He trusted God. He loved God. He followed God. Hey, is your faith recession-proof? I know there are many in this room who the last five years have not been kind. Maybe you've been no raises. Maybe you've been switched, different job. Maybe you've been looking for work. I mean, it has been a crucible for many families in our church. What has that done to your faith? Um, when, when you have less and when you have to learn to live on less, is there less affection for God? Sometimes people hold their praise hostage, um, you know, as if I can't be joyful about the Lord until I get my stuff back, right? Do you remember one of our elders, Alan Hankins? Were you around when Alan was here? What a dear man of faith. The guy was a manager of a Hobby Lobby, sweet job, Christian organization, Sundays off, and just got fired. It was very unfair. Uh, I mean, he got short end of a stick, fired. And then he had to start contacting his bank and figure out how to keep his house. He had to look for another job. Uh, I mean, we just rallied around him. And here, at the very moment that he could have gotten bitter with God, he could have gotten angry with with the people who he worked for, he could have completely done a U-turn and walked away from Christ. The guy came to life spiritually. He would come to our elder meetings and he'd be like, he'd be like reading these like books uh, from the 1800s, early 1900s from awesome Christian pastors and authors. He'd be like, guess what I found out today? He's reading whole books of the Bible and he's coming to the elder meeting. He's like the MVP elder and, and he's got every reason to be sinking into despair right now. Putting us all to shame. 
And we're like, Alan, what has gotten into you? That's a content man. He didn't have this deal with God before he hit the hard time. God, you keep, you know, you keep sending the goodies my way and I'll keep loving you. That deal was not in place. So when he was stripped of everything but the very basic possessions, and he even had to trust others to give that to him, you know what happened? He grew spiritually. Wow. Let God's provision satisfy you. Abide in a place of contentment no matter what happens. Your faith will be recession-proof too. Now let me share with you what the Bible is not saying here. Write this down. The Bible is not saying poverty is spiritual. Meaning, if you go get rid of half of your stuff, you'll be better off than your neighbor. You know, I mean, you've got to live on less. Some, some Christian authors teach that, oh, you've got to like seriously downsize everything you have and then you'll be content. No, that, it doesn't work that way. Poverty is not spiritual. The Bible's not saying poverty is spiritual. The Bible's not saying, write this down, laziness is spiritual. As if you should somehow lack ambition. You can be both content and hardworking at your job. You can be both content and advance in your career. The Bible's not saying laziness is spiritual. The Bible is not saying wealth is sinful. There is no penny threshold where as soon as you cross into this tier of income, you have a sinful amount of money coming in your bank account and you better get rid of it fast. Who can tell you where that line is? No one. No one. The Bible is not saying that wealth is sinful. You can be both rich and godly. And the Bible is not saying success is sinful. Write that down. As if somehow you've made it and you're like, oh, no, I must not be. No, you can be both effective and well-known and godly. Poverty is not spiritual. The Bible's not saying laziness is spiritual, wealth is sinful, success is sinful. So hear me. Let God's provision satisfy you. And if you are faced with the test of having to live on less, trust God. Love God. Obey God. Don't believe the lie that you have to follow some sinful solution out of that predicament. And hey, maybe you're facing the trial of abundance. You got the promotion. You got the raise. You've got more to manage than you've ever had before. Guess what? That's a test too. And you still have to rely on the Lord. The Bible says if your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. You're still dependent on the Lord. And nothing has changed with your income. So be content. Godliness with contentment is a jackpot. Nothing belongs to you. Let God's provision satisfy you. And number three, write this down. Stop trusting money to bring you... That's intentionally left blank. What are you trusting money to bring you? Are you trusting money to bring you happiness, influence? Maybe... Maybe you struggle with more of the love of money. You love having things. You love when other people see you have things. You love having newer, nicer, bigger, better. You know, maybe you, maybe you look to money to bring you security and safety. Oh, if we don't, if we don't make this look better on paper, our kids aren't going to be able to get to college. And, and, and I'm afraid if we don't get the financial things set, that they're not going to have a good future. Maybe it's fear. You're trusting money to bring you security. Maybe you're not the lover of money. Maybe you're afraid of what happens when you have to go without as much money as you think you need. Whether it's love of money or fear or trust of money, we need to stop trusting money to bring these things into our lives. Why? Well, look at verse 9. It says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Write this down. 
Stop trusting money because you'll fall into a trap. You'll fall into a trap. Uh, the phases or the stages here that are set out are temptation. There's a test. There's some sort of a trial where you have to make a, a choice. And if you, if you lose that, you're going to be snared or trapped through the temptation. Then when you're caught, stuck, you feel powerless. Then you're filled with many senseless and harmful desires because you're stuck. Then that leads you to ruin and destruction. The trap, the desires, the end, which is ruin. And, uh, and I don't know where you're at. Maybe, maybe you're at the point where, where you're tempted. You feel, I've only got bad options. We've got to get our finances together. And you're tempted to make bad on biblical choices, to trust money rather than God. Maybe you've already done that and you're stuck, overspent, bought too much house, crippling amount of debt, bad business partnership. Now I'm stuck. And then, and then you don't get help. So you keep making worse decisions. We've got to borrow more. We've got to get more people on this. We gotta, and, and then that's leading to the collapse. It's leading to the collapse. That's the pattern. It begins by saying you'll fall. You'll fall into temptation. Have you ever fallen before? Who's fallen down like bad? Like tree, stairwell? Like, like who's had a bad fall? All right, all right. Recovery. People are laughing. I'd love to hear the stories. <laughs> Banana peel. You maybe you had a serious fall. Uh, I fell off a trampoline when I was in high school. Um, I, at one point in my life, I was quite agile, so I, I was able to do like a backflip on a trampoline. I'd die if I did that today. But somehow in high school, I do this backflip, and one day I did the backflip, and I don't know what happened, but I landed at about a forty-five degree angle. I landed wrong, and. Trampolines in my day didn't have that safety net, kids. There were no safety nets in my day. So I went down and somehow it, it like shot me into the sidebar of the trampoline. Like I bashed into the bar and flew in the air and then landed in a crumpled heap on the thankfully grass. And I was just like, boom! Oh! And my sister was there watching and she screamed. She's like, ah! Thankfully mom didn't see it. But there I was. I was just like, oh, like... And I didn't break anything, uh, but I'll never forget that. And you'll never forget a serious fall, am I right? The fall. And the Bible is saying here, why do I need to listen to this? Why do I need to find contentment in, in Christ in my heart? Why? Why? Because if you desire to be rich, you will fall. You'll fall. And, and it's not just any fall. You fall into a trap. You fall and then you're stuck. This was engineered as a test to get you to make a small or a big decision where you exchange your Lord for your trust in money, your love for money, and, and, and it's a trap. And then you fall through and then, bam, the vice comes up and you're stuck. You're stuck. And you can't get out of it because you loved money or you trusted money. And you're stuck. There's obvious ways Christians can get stuck or trapped by money. Addictive gambling, stealing. There's other ways you can, instead of at the end of the month when you've run out of money, instead of kneeling down and asking God for specifics, you can just swipe, you know, good old J.P. Morgan, and he's got your back. Sometimes the, the bank loves it when you tether your bank account, your checking to your credit card. That's the no faith plan. We'll just automatically let credit See me through the month and I'll never have to ask God for anything again. That's a terrible plan. 
And that's how God's people get into crippling credit card debt. These are tests. They buy too much. They partner with the wrong people. These are tests. These are tests. This is the test phase. Well, could work out bad. Could work out good. I'm kind of crossing over some into, into unwise areas scripturally. But you know what? I could pay off and the test, the test. And then comes the fall and the trap. Once you fall, once you're trapped, well, we already bought it. Well, no going back now. Then, then you believe the lie that you're stuck. Uh, it didn't work out the way you thought. Um, you didn't make that extra money to pay that down. The house didn't sell. The partnership, the partner is who you thought he would. Now comes the senseless and harmful desires. The Bible says then comes many senseless. Senseless, you're not thinking clearly anymore because you're desperate. Harmful, you're hurting yourself and other people. This stage features much pain and foolishness um, because it didn't make me happy and it didn't make me safe. It turns out it made me more liable and unhappy and afraid. So now I either need to borrow more to try and get out of it or I need to spend more or to make me happier or I need to make greater risks to try and somehow pull out of it and, or I need to spend more recklessly and then comes the hiding. Then comes the hiding. Why am I hiding it? Why am I hiding it? Why am I hiding it? Because I know it's wrong. Because I know if my spouse found out, there would be a lot of foolish, senseless, then it gets found out. Then comes the fighting. Then comes the conflict. Because there's pain. Harmful. It's harmful. The temptation leads to the senseless and the harmful and the foolish. And then that leads to what the Bible says, plunged into ruin. Many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Plunge means like to drown, like a sinking ship. So did you, see, uh, did you see Pirates of the Caribbean? Did you see those movies? So do you remember, what's that, what's that big creature that lives in the water and then comes up underneath the ships, right? What is that? The Kraken. Check this out. This is a picture of the Kraken, right? And uh-oh, look out. It's coming up. It's going to, and then crushes the ship in half and drags it down to the depths. Hey, listen. The Bible is describing love of money as being like love of the Kraken, I love it. And, and the tentacles go up the side of your life. And if you're not careful, it will plunge you to ruin and destruction. Drag you down to the depths if it gets out of control. This is Captain Jack fighting off the Kraken. Look at that. This is the picture God paints of you and money. It, it's trying to ruin you. Money... Money poses as a false god. Money dresses up like God and says, trust me. Money dresses up like God and says, love me, flaunt me. I'll see you through. I'll take care of you. Walk my way, even if you have to leave, you know, God's way. And I'll see you through. Money can become a false god. It's a kraken. And it can lead you to fall into a trap. Hey, where are you at in your finances? Um... Are you at the temptation stage where there are choices you're thinking of making and you're not sure if they're good ones? Have you already made some bad choices and your heart and your mind is just filled with trying to get out of it? Has it all fallen down and you're like, I'm, I'm there, I'm like on the floor and there's no hope of anything better and it's just ruined. I mean, I don't know, where are you? Um, we help people. Don't lose hope. The Lord has a plan to grow contentment into your life. 
And um, it doesn't matter what, what's happened to your finances, Christ is in you. It doesn't matter what has happened, Christ is in you. It can be well with your soul, and you can trust that God's going to build you back up and forgive you. He's going to heal that area of your marriage. He can bring strength to this area of weakness. Uh, he can do that, even if you've fallen into a trap. We help people all the time. People come in and they say, we need help. Usually when people come in and say they need help, they've waited way too long. Uh, in fact, if I had to identify the three most basic danger signs we see uh, that we know that there's going to be a problem, uh, no written budget. Do you have a written budget? No. No spending plan. No written budget. No giving plan. Tell me about giving, prioritizing, partnering with... Uh, and uh, no help. The longer couples, families go with no written budget, no giving plan, and they won't take help from anyone, the worse it's going to get. The, the slithering tentacles are going up the side of the house if you have no plan and you're getting no help, and it's going to come crashing down. But when people come in, sometimes they come in early. We've got deacons, we've got financial team members who are, I mean, we've got bankers, we've got CPAs, we've got investment advisors. We help people all the time. People sometimes come in early. Newlyweds, like, we need some help with this, and we help them. Sometimes they come in in the middle of some stuff. We got in the middle of this, we don't know how this happened. Sometimes they come in way too late. Bankruptcy, phone calls from creditors, uh, major problems with the government, they wait too long. And I just want you to know that we help. We help people with this. But there has to be the crisis where you say, it's done. I'm going to stop trusting money to bring all these things into my life because I'm, I'm going to fall into a trap. It goes on to say, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Write this down. Stop trusting money to bring you whatever because you'll fall into a trap and because you can't love both money and God. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's the root. It's the root through which all the fruit of the evil behavior comes. At the heart of it, it's the love for money or the trust of money. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, wandered away from the Lord, and pierced themselves. I love that. Pierced themselves with many pangs. Loving money is like hugging a cactus. Come here! Ow! That hurt! You loved money. Money told me that it was going to take care of me. Money lied. Money said I was going to be secure and my children were going to be provided for. Money lied. See, money's lying, making promises only your God can keep. We keep hugging money. Come here. Ow! Pierce yourself with many pangs. It's impossible, according to the Bible, to love both God and money. Hey, you know magicians do awesome stuff? Have you seen magicians like pull a rabbit out? Here's a magician pull the rabbit out of the hat. That's baffling Bill. Great job, baffling Bill, pulling the rabbit out of the hat. But if you really wanted to do something impressive and amaze me, you would love God and money at the exact same time. Behold, watch this. Yeah, I just did it. For a second, I love both God and money at the same time. And you should be like, whoa! Because that's impossible. The Bible says you cannot love both God and money at the same time. It's either God and not money, or it's money and not God. And your heart right now is set. You're either letting money sit on the throne of your heart, or you're letting God sit on the throne of your heart. How do I know? Well, it says here that it'll make you wander away from the faith. Wander away. 
specifically, we challenge disciples to worship, walk, and work with Christ, right? So, so it's the trust of money and the love of money that gets people to wander away from worshiping Christ. Sunday morning, where's he at? Not coming to church. Why? He's workaholic. Can't stop. Won't stop. Can't, you know, walk with Christ. Can't come to small group. Won't come to small group. Why? Got a lot of problems. Got to make a lot of money. Got to, you know, work for Christ. Can't, can't get on a ministry team because I got to chase after and trust and I'm not talking about the guy that's working hard and an honest job to make ends meet. I'm talking about the guy who steers in the direction of money instead of God. He's wandering from the faith. He's piercing himself with many griefs. He's hugging a cactus. and He's not prioritizing the number one thing, which is Christ. Hey, Christ in you is your only hope of contentment. Contentment is whatever has happened, is happening, will happen. It is well with my soul because Christ is in me. I just want to close by giving you a way to express your longing for contentment to the Lord. Listen, how do I know if I'm pursuing commitment or contentment? How do I know if I'm if I'm wrestling for contentment? Listen, this is what you say to the Lord. This is what you say. I will trust God to provide. I don't care what has happened financially. I don't care what is happening financially. Who cares what the next annual review will show? I trust God to provide. You need to say that. And then you need to say it again. Also say this. I love God for richer or for poorer. He can take all of it away. I will love him no less. He can add 50% to it all. I'll love him no less. I'll love him no more. For richer or for poorer, I love God. Finally, I obey God, period. I trust God. I love God. I obey God, period. I will not believe the lie that there are only bad options. I will not believe the lie that there are only sinful pathways out of my problem. I will not believe the lie that I've somehow arrived at a hopeless state and God could never Get me back on my feet. I won't believe that. Because I, I will obey God and do it His way, period. If you can make that commitment, if you can say, I trust God will provide. If you could say, I love God for richer or poorer. If you could say, I obey God, period, contentment will grow in your heart. And it doesn't matter what's happening. It will be well with your soul because Christ is with you.